content warning, this episode contains references to rape, violence, and murder. Please call or visit the hotlines included in the description if you need help. I murder! Hi everyone! Welcome to I Murder, the podcast where Gen Z talks true crime. I'm your host Jocelyn, and every other week I invite a special guest on my podcast to talk a little bit about true crime. And today we have TikTok influencer Allison DeRose joining us. Hey! Hey! hey. How's it going? Oh my god, I'm so excited that you're here. I am so excited to talk about this today. It is. I know. Just the no, best. And, I am uh, I Murder's number one listener, so. Are you really? Yeah, probably. Oh, you know what? I'm going to actually search that up, and I'm going to hold you accountable <laughs> for that. My Spotify statistics will give me away. Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, like, I, I basically um, heard about this case a year and a half ago, and I've always known about it, and it's always baffled me. Um And I remember, like, when I first heard about it, I shared it with all of my friends. And so when I started this podcast, I was like, okay, I need to talk about this. But, like, who is a perfect person to talk about it with? And that so happened. That so happened to be you. And what's so crazy is that you actually have um, a lot of, like, similarities or, like, uh, connections to this case. Yeah, the crazy thing is, so I go to school in D.C. And one of the people involved in this case went to school in D.C., different school, but... And yeah. this case is in an area of Maryland that's 20 minutes away from me. And I've actually been to the exact shopping center that this case takes place in. So this that's is like a crazy connection that you yeah. just happened to ask me to be on this episode with this case. So it's very exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. So I guess uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Yes. Okay, awesome. Okay, so today we're going to be covering the case of the Lululemon murder. And this is actually like a pretty well-known case just because there's so many like insane twists and there's a lot that you don't see coming. And as the name suggests, the crime took place in a Lululemon store in Bethesda, Maryland, which for those of you who don't know, Lululemon is kind of like a high-end workout retail store. I personally have never really bought anything from there just because the leggings go up to like $150. Which I'm wearing so my expensive. one pair of Lululemon leggings today. And no, you're this not. Case. I did. I planned ahead. <laughs> not. My one you pair I own. Man, you know what? Maybe I should have um, invested in a good pair of Lululemon leggings for this. Maybe just for the case. Yeah, sure. Maybe just for the case and then I'll quickly return it and get all my money back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on March 12, 2011, Lululemon store manager Rachel Orelli went to open the store early in the morning as she typically did. But she noticed that something was off. Usually the entrance to the store would be locked by the time she went to open up the store. However, this time it was unlocked. And this particular Lululemon is set in a high-end strip mall with stores such as the Apple Store and Francesca's. So, you know, people with a good wad of cash were shopping there. Um, But that also leaves room for a lot of uh, potential robberies. And the door being unlocked is immediately a red flag for Rachel because the first thing they teach employees at Lululemon when closing is to lock the door to prevent any break-ins. So... Keeping this in mind, she slowly enters and comes across a gory scene. There were blood smears, footprints, items knocked down from the shelves, you name it. The store was a complete mess. And as she's walking through the scene, she could hear a painful moan coming from the back room. So startled, Rachel bolts out of the store and calls for help. She calls 911. um, And a man named Ryan, who was waiting in line at the nearby Apple store noticed Rachel panicking and he rushes over to help her. So after she explains the situation to him, Ryan immediately offered to scope out the store for her to see if anything had been stolen. They go back inside the store and as they're walking through, they notice that all the cash registers and safes had been left open and completely empty. So it was clear that they were walking through the aftermath of a robbery. So Rachel decides to stay behind like at the front of the store um, to like stay online with the 911 operator while Ryan continues to investigate and he finally reaches the back room of the store 
Surprisingly, there was even more of a mess. There was glass shattered all over the ground, items thrown all over the place, and blood. So much blood. There were bloody footprints, the same as the ones in the front. There were blood smears all over the walls and a huge trace of blood on the ground. It was literally everywhere. So Ryan starts to follow this blood trail, which leads him to the back end of the store. And like, can we just like pause for a second to like talk about Ryan? Like, he deserves props, props right? to Ryan for continuing to walk throughout that store. Props to Rachel for even going back into the store. He's also a stranger. Like, he was just at the yeah. Apple store trying to get who knows what from Apple, and he yeah. suddenly is in the middle of a crime scene. I would go yeah. run screaming in the other direction. The minute I see a smear of blood, I'm out. Goodbye. Bye. Absolutely not. Um, Like Rachel heard moaning and she like went back into the store with Ryan. I would not. I'd be like, Ryan, uh -uh. go ahead. I'm going to stay outside. (laughs) You know what? Suit yourself. I'll be outside breathing some fresh air. Exactly. No. And you know what's really funny too is that on this particular day, the iPad 2 had come out. (laughs) So you can imagine like Ryan woke up in the morning and he was like, today I'm getting my iPad 2. I've been waiting for this. And no. So he had no idea that as he was going to get his iPad 2, he would come out with trauma. <laughs> he said, I'm getting awful. the iPad 2. And what ended up happening was he didn't even get the iPad 2. I mean, maybe he did. I hope he got the iPad 2. But he ended yeah, up he, in the as middle a, of a like an investigation. Like Exactly. This man was of not prepared for that when he woke up that day. <laughs> uh, Ryan is amazing. We love Ryan. And this episode is sponsored by the Ryan Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is should have gone to free ipad for being a good samaritan yeah exactly he should have the street should have been named they should have rebuilt bethesda row and named it after him yeah it should have been called ryan yep (laughs) so ryan keeps following the trail until he reaches a narrow hallway with a door which is such a horror the way that he still kept walking he still kept going he goes to the door And he attempts to open it, but there's something really heavy pressing against it. So when the door finally budges open a few inches, he was able to, like, peek in. And it reveals a large pool of blood. And laying above this blood is a woman's dead body facing down. And when I say she was covered in blood, I mean it. According to him, the scene was so gruesome that he could barely pick up if the victim was a man or a woman. When Ryan sees this, the first thing he does is rush out to inform Rachel. But something stops him in his tracks. A noise coming from the employee bathroom. He musters up some more courage and enters the bathroom, finding another woman laying on the ground face up in her own blood. And unlike the first woman, this one is found bound with zip ties on her wrists and ankles. So he tries to get a closer look. And he notices her chest rising and falling. She was still alive. But nonetheless, she had numerous cuts and injuries on her body, which only meant they had to get her help ASAP. So Ryan runs back to Rachel, who is on the phone with the 911 operator, and tells her that they need an ambulance. There were two injured women in the back, and one of them was still breathing. That's when it clicks for Rachel. These two women worked there. They were the only ones who had the closing shift the night before. The authorities finally arrive and paramedics rush over to the breathing victim and rush her to the hospital. She was identified as 28-year-old Brittany Norwood. Now, when the authorities found Brittany, they not only noticed the zip ties binding her, but they noticed that her pants were torn at the crotch, suggesting that there was potentially a sexual motive behind this crime. She had also had a shirt loosely tied around her neck and an intense injury on her forehead. A rock was also left on the ground nearby. So that kind of like led investigators to believe that the rock was used to hurt Brittany. And let's talk a little bit about Brittany Norwood. She was born on May 19th, 1982 in Seattle, Washington. She was one of nine siblings, so she had a big and happy family. They never really had any, like, apparent issues, you know. They were, like, pretty well financially. They had a sturdy support system. And Brittany was also, like, really athletic. 
Um, she played in numerous sports growing up, but she chose to focus on soccer by the time she was in college. She was actually one of the best players in her school, which landed her a spot in the university's team. Her experience in that soccer team, though, was wishy-washy, to say the least. Like, her soccer mates um, started noticing that their things started to go missing. Uh, Like, for example, a lip gloss or a shirt, you know, like small things that you notice. You don't really notice. um, You would think you misplaced them, but then once everyone has lost something, it's a little bit... You start putting two and two together. It's a little bit suspicious, yeah. Exactly. So after a while, they kind of like noticed that pattern. They became suspicious and um, they noticed that everything started going missing once Brittany joined the team. So they decided to confront her. And that basically brought Brittany to break down and profusely apologize. And but because this trust was broken, Brittany's teammates slowly started distancing themselves from her. However, this didn't stop her from stealing later on Brittany applied for lululemon which seemed fitting specifically because she was so athletic and she wanted to become a personal trainer so she believed that working there would be kind of like that first step to that um and she actually uh got fired from her first lululemon um, job she actually like worked in two different lululemons but in the first one she was caught stealing and um from the store and she got fired and actually lost her soccer scholarship so that like says a lot to her actions so she has an Um, established history of stealing so far yeah she a lot of people think she was probably a kleptomaniac because it wasn't yeah she wasn't stealing out of necessity like her her family was doing really well financially it's also weird because you mentioned it was you know there's no seems like she's pretty pretty brought up pretty okay um she's having a pretty great life ending up stealing a lot of stuff but yeah it's there isn't any apparent like trauma yeah in her life seems like a pretty normal to... college student at this point yeah so so that's really interesting to see to note about her um so i guess like going back to uh present time um other paramedics enter the bloody scene where the other woman was found she was identified as 30-year-old Jaina Murray, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Something investigators notice upon entering the room is the numerous bloody tools scattered around, which were believed to have been used as weapons. The red toolbox, in which like all these tools belong to, was placed on top of Jaina's body. And no one really knows why this toolbox was placed there. Like, I don't know if, like, you have any theories. I was able to come up with a few, but I'd love to hear what you think first. The first thing that's weird to me is, I know you mentioned there was, like, a rock near Brittany. Yeah. So the first thing that is really bizarre is there seems to be, like, a lot of focus on Jaina in this crime. Um, And, like, uh, whether the angle is, like, a robbery. I know initially, like, the first angle is robbery. Um. That's kind of weird for a robbery for, like, the toolbox to be placed on Jaina's body. And then it makes me wonder, like, if this was, like, a serial killing or, like, a more pre-planned killing. Did the toolbox have some significance to whoever killed Jaina? Like, if the tools were used, why were tools used on Jaina and a rock used on Brittany? Whoever committed this crime has some... The focus is obviously on Jaina here. Like, that's already obvious. Yeah. Yeah, it's already obvious that, like... Because, like you said, like, comparing it to um, Brittany's injuries, or we're going to talk a little bit more about the injuries between these two victims, but um, Brittany had, like, a severe injury on her forehead, which probably came from a rock, which is pretty kind of like, it's kind of like a last-minute decision, like, oh, I found a rock here, you let me just, like, hit her forehead. You don't find a rock inside the Lululemon. You have yeah. to go outside and get one. Yeah. Like. Exactly. And or you bring one with you or, or something like that. But Jaina, she had like five different tools scattered yeah. around her. So it's it's it, like it makes you wonder if like these um this robber or or this thief or these thieves had any specific interest in Jaina. Um, but yeah, so like I I was able to research like a few theories that people have, and um one of them um was kind of like related to a notorious serial killer who is like the golden state killer which i know you've probably heard of um so for those of you who haven't heard of the golden state killer he was um the serial killer in california and what he would do with his victims is that he would stack plates 
over his victims while they were alive so that if he were to like go to another room um he would make sure that like if if he heard anything like any plates falling he knew that that was them trying to escape and yeah i know them. he also used it as like leverage like if there were two people in the situation or if there's a woman he usually sexually mm-hmm. assaulted the women and if the plates fell he would threaten that he would kill like the woman or the other person in the situation so it definitely makes yeah. sense so- maybe there was one robber and they were with Brittany, and they told jana you know if we hear the tools if i hear the tools move like i'm gonna kill Brittany, or you know yeah exactly yeah. exactly so that that's one theory another one i was able to find was um it could have been applied which first of all i don't think this theory is is very likely but some believe that the toolbox could have been applied as weight to quicken her blood loss i mean which... we'll, we'll get into her injuries but they seem pretty extensive i don't feel like that is like necessarily a needed in this situation a good argument exactly if anything it seems more of like a petty thing like kind of exactly. like a disrespect yeah. Because you're, like, throwing a toolbox on her, like, on her body. Like, her. okay, I'm done I mean, with if it you. was after she was dead, yeah. it's even more. Like, you're, like, using her, like, a table, like, resting place for the toolbox. Like, yeah. that makes way more sense to show, like, disrespect towards Jaina. And, like, that you have no remorse for yeah. what they did. Yeah, like, her body is completely void of exactly. any meaning to them. It's horrible. So, um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Jaina's injuries. So, they take Jaina's body to be examined, um, you know, like, with an autopsy. So, what you're about to hear is horrific to say the least Jaina was found to have suffered with exactly 331 individual injuries including 105 defensive wounds she had injuries to her head face neck back and extremities and according to the medical examiner Dr. Mary Ripple Jaina was alive throughout nearly all of these injuries until one stab in the back of her head severed her spinal cord and took her life, which oh my is God. absolutely insane. Like the amount of, of pain she had to suffer going, like experiencing over 300 injuries. Time it probably took to inflict those injuries upon her. Like I know we've talked yeah. about this before, but the time that it takes to like inflict that many injuries is is crazy it's insane Insane. and it's just so horrific that she was suffering through like hundreds of wounds before like they actually killed her yeah and dr mary ripple actually testified in court um later on and stated that this would have taken well over 15 minutes uh to kill Jaina. so she had to suffer 15 15 minutes may sound like a short time, like from an outside perspective. But if you're putting yourself in Jaina's shoes, you are being hurt and, you know, like stabbed and hit over 300 times. 15 minutes is a that long time. That also takes time. a lot of strength on the part of whoever this attacker is. So, I mean, that's also very telling yeah. about for the future investigation. Whoever did this had to have either, you know, the rage or the strength or both to you know, endure 15 minutes of full physical exertion attacking Jaina. That's true. That's totally true. Um, And so something else that Dr. Ripple discovered was that five different wound patterns were inflicted on her body, meaning that five different weapons were used. And this included a wrench, a merchandising peg, a hammer, a box cutter, and an exacto knife. And these were the tools that were found scattered around her body, um, which we were talking about previously. Um, another thing about these tools is that they weren't, like, from anywhere. They were from that Lululemon store. So so as of right yeah, now, exactly. there are no, like, weapons that anyone brought from outside. And if they did, they took them with them. No. No, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but all of these were traced okay. from the store. Let's talk a little bit about Jaina herself. Um, Jaina Murray was born on November 22nd, 1980 in Kansas. At a young age, she moved to Texas and grew up there with her family. She was always adventurous and charming. Basically, everyone that met Jaina loved her. And she was a great student growing up. She pursued two degrees, one in business and one in communications in George Washington University, which <laughs> I bug Allison a lot about this because I go to Georgetown go to University, which is also in DC, but it's not Y'all, the same. 
Y'all, d- you cannot tell me George Washington and Georgetown sounds like everything sound like in DC thing. has it the sounds... word George in front of it. Our first president or whatever, George Washington. Who cares? Yeah, the white man, the white man, colonizer, <laughs> the white man with the wooden teeth, <laughs> the one colonized. Damn, maybe I should change that a little bit. <laughs> I'm gonna have angry people. People are gonna be from George Washington. Are gonna be like, first of all, George Washington yeah. is better than Georgetown, and second of all, we're not named after a oh, colonizer. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, Allison is from Georgetown, but Jaina Murray was from George Washington University, just to clear that up. Jaina decided to write her master's thesis on the Lululemon corporate model. To get more of an insider on the inner works of the company, she applied to her local Lululemon store. And Jaina loved working here. Not only was she fascinated by its retail techniques, but she got along really well with her coworkers. Basically, all of them adored Jaina and they were really close with her. All of them except for one. Brittany Norwood and now it wasn't that they didn't get along it was just that they didn't really have enough time to get close Brittany had only worked there for three and a half weeks so they were really only co-workers to each other nothing more and around this time Jaina was promoted to some sort of management position I'm not entirely sure what but she definitely had like some sort of privilege um, and like bigger responsibilities in the store so this is the reason why she was scheduled with Brittany to close um, on that horrid night. Brittany was quickly rushed to the hospital and thankfully she had only suffered superficial wounds which really only required some cleaning up. Investigators decided to question her that same day since she was able to recover so fast from uh, the incident. She and Jaina had closed the store and left around 9.45 p.m. A few minutes later, Brittany reaches the metro and she realizes that she left her wallet back at work. So she calls Jaina, who has the keys, and they agree on meeting at the front of the store. So they meet up and they walk inside the store and they start looking for Brittany's wallet. But after searching and searching, nothing comes up. They're about to leave when they realize that they hadn't locked the back door. They're turning around. They're going to the back of the store to lock it. And they see two men waiting for them. One of them grabs Brittany by the hair and threatens to slit her throat if she says another word. According to Brittany, Jaina was dragged to the back of the store, screaming and fighting. Meanwhile, Brittany complied calmly to all of the attacker's commands, showing them where the money was kept and keeping quiet. And once her attacker got the money, he forced her into the employee bathroom and began slashing at her with a knife. He then cut her pants open and sexually assaulted her. At some point during the attack, she blacked out. One thing to note is that she couldn't recall how any of her attackers looked like, She really only noticed that they were two men dressed in black and one was slightly taller than the other. But other than that, there was like no facial recognition for her. After hearing Brittany's encounter of the incident, investigators analyzed the crime scene to try and piece together who the attackers might be. One particularly interesting thing they noticed were the bloody footprints found throughout the store. There was a pair of size 6 women's shoes, which were probably Brittany's, covered by a size 14 men's Reebok tennis shoes and this really only accounted for half of Britney's story since there was no trace of a second man's footprints um strangely the footprints didn't appear to leave the store either so they thought well maybe he took off his shoes and okay walked that out makes absolutely zero sense but <laughs> like could you imagine yeah, if like, you, like, you imagine? someone and they were like they like left I don't even know how this would happen, but, like, what goes through your brain that you walk to the exit after, like, murdering (laughs) someone and you're like, you know what I should do? I should take off my shoes. I don't want to get blood (laughs) in my car. (laughs) It's probably covered in blood blood already. Like, how would taking off the shoes change anything? There's no logic there. Like, yeah. And the socks are probably bloody, too. Oh, my God, absolutely. Anyone who can, like, whoever committed this crime... There is no way they did not leave the scene of the crime covered in both Brittany and Jaina's blood. Yeah, from like the amount of blood that they found in that store, like it would, it's it would it'd be in a miracle. I think it would be a miracle to step out of the store without a, at least a drop of blood. Also, on this you. is a shopping so, center. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but it, I, I guess it's, it was like like 11 p.m. around. But that's weirder. Like. 
it, yeah. this is such a big shopping center. Like I've been there. There's movie theaters. There's restaurants. Like how did no one know this was going on at the time? That's yeah. crazy to me. That's absolutely insane. We're going to get more into that too later on because there's so much, so many more details to the story that are that's just bonkers. And this one particularly, like it just makes you question. And I can't even imagine what the investigators were thinking. Like either this man could levitate and he flew out of the store, but like the, the footprints literally stopped. Okay, they were like all over the store and out of nowhere they stopped like by the back room. But there was no indication that he had That's, left with I don't shoes even know on. like if I was the investigator um, in this situation, I don't even know what theory I could come up with after that. I would be so stumped. Yeah. I would I wouldn't know where to go with that information. Yeah. Even more puzzling when investigators spoke with Rachel, the store manager who had found the bodies that morning. She told them that she had received a concerning phone call from Jaina the night before. One of Lululemon's employee policies is to have another employee check your bags before leaving your shift, which basically ensures that none of the store merchandise is being stolen. So that like makes complete sense. Jaina had called Rachel the night of the murder, saying how she found some unpaid items in Brittany's purse. And is like we mentioned no. not the first time she's wait. Done so the store policy is they check your bags before you leave. Yeah, she checked. Jaina so, checked, and Brittany had stolen something again. She stole like so a few. So we confirmed Brittany is a kleptomaniac. Store. This is full confirmation of that. Yeah, that's established. <laughs> 100%. This is literally the third reported instance of right. her stealing so something. So call- she calls her, her superior. She's like, Brittany stole something again. Roll. I roll. Classic Brittany. <laughs> I roll. She stole something again. Yeah, classic. So obviously, like, this is a, a huge problem um, on that night. And the timing of all of this is certainly suspicious. But, you know, that doesn't make Brittany a suspect exactly, you know? Like, you'd think, okay, well, this is weird because... um. Well, Jaina called her superior, Rachel, and they had this huge um, discussion over Britney's kleptomania. Um, and that probably, like, made Britney really upset. But, you know, that would make you think, okay, well, maybe Britney um, had something to do with this. She but had injuries. Mind you, she was still found. Exactly. She was still found tied up on the floor. She was covered in blood. She had several injuries. Um, so, like, you can't just... Um, also, automatically she has like no history of any violent behavior at all she steals things but she has no like, exactly she, there's no indicators that britney would be involved in this type of like organized crime in any way she she had a perfectly fine childhood like we talked about like brought up fine no instances yeah. of her ever having like disciplinary issues she went to a really good school on a soccer mm-hmm. scholarship like it, it doesn't make it, it there's no reason to yeah. suspect her absolutely so there's a lot of arrows pointing at her, but there's also a lot of arrows not. So the police kind of just gather this information and move on. Saturday afternoon, police pulled up some footage from neighboring stores, specifically the Apple store, which pretty much backed up Brittany's story. In this footage, you can see two men wearing black walking through the alley behind Lululemon at around 11 p.m. that night. Police immediately began looking for these two men, questioning every employee in the Apple store next door to Lululemon. None of the employees recall having seen any of these two men found in the footage, but one of them remembers having heard something odd at around 10 p.m. The employee heard a heaving sound, almost like if someone were pushing furniture around in the Lululemon store. Then she started to hear screaming. After bringing it up to her coworkers, so you, like she goes up to her coworkers and she's like, "Guys, like I hear like blood curling, screaming next door. Like, come and check this out." They kind of like bring their ears closer to the wall, and they're finally able to make out some dialogue. They reported having heard a voice saying, "Oh God, please help me, please help me," and another voice saying, "Wait," and they Just didn't call the cops me. at that point. The that is crazy. No, that no. is crazy because I live in a city and if Isn't I hear that anyone outside say anything, I'm like up at that window ready to call 911. Like ready to these workers like not hear something late exactly. at night and get immediately terrified that something bad was going on. Exactly. And it's not, it's, yeah, it's not just one employee. It's several employees hearing this and not one of them decided, hey, someone's clearly in danger. Let me call 
you, the police. Wait, I have this a question. Something I think we've talked about this before, no. but it the bystander effect. One like a group of people will be witnessing a crime, and yeah. none of them calls it like nine one one because they expect because someone the else to be doing effect. it. There's like a bunch of famous cases. Like I know there's this one in New York yeah. City from a really really long time ago, and like everyone has heard of it. Um, it's this woman got yeah. like murdered in New York City, and no one did anything about Bad. it because they assumed someone else yeah. would call the cops. So I'm sure that was part of it. They thought like another store would have heard it and called the cops about it. It's it's insane, um, and that most likely happened in this case and it's it's really unfortunate that it did um because who knows if if the cops were called from this you know from this point maybe jana i mean it was 15 minutes Brittany plus we talked about more than 15 minutes that she was being attacked like that there's no way that Jesus. you could hear that yeah. for 15 minutes and not like call the cops i mean i'm not putting any blame on those people but that's terrifying like that could happen right next door to you yeah. you have no idea but hopefully like these um instances are kind of like examples for people like <laughs> what, what not, not to do when you're witnessing a crime next door the- oh, no. even if you honestly even if you think it's like it's like someone's just like practicing their lines for like a theater audition just call 911 just do it just in case you don't know and if anything you're wrong and everything's yeah. fine but like at least do it just in case you know yeah. You know, like this entire situation really sucks, but one of the employees actually gave a vital piece of information that helped turn the investigation on its wheels. They reported hearing two female voices, meaning that there were no male voices at all. So this is when the investigators began putting the pieces together. There was a shoplifting allegation against Brittany, witnesses only hearing two female voices arguing, and the bloody footprints. All of this suggested that Brittany wasn't telling the truth. And unfortunately for Brittany, investigators made one huge discovery that only discredited her story even more. Process the crime scene. They decided to take a closer look at the footprints. Now, if you remember, earlier I mentioned how they were able to connect the size 14 shoe prints to a men's Reebok tennis shoe. And while processing the crime scene, authorities found a pair of the exact same shoes in the Lululemon store next to like a store rack. So now they're, now they're thinking, what? Did the killer leave his shoes behind? <laughs> they actually like, showed up to the this crime scene barefoot put the shoes on to commit the crime and then took them off before they left to be respectful. You know how yeah. you like enter someone's house and you take your <laughs> shoes off? They but, did the reverse. To be disrespectful, they put yeah. shoes on once they, they got, got there. <laughs> they put the, they they saw the they shoes were like, and they I were drove like, oh, here barefoot. God, I didn't so. bring any shoes. So let me just wear these. <laughs> I actually raised tennis nice shoes. Let me put them on okay. Woman. Surprisingly he didn't steal them, you know? Like they're really nice. I would <laughs> Okay, Brittany. <laughs> Brittany. okay okay <laughs> okay kleptomaniac that was good that was good so the police contact the store manager rachel and she says something really interesting she tells the investigators that those shoes were always there so the store always kept a pair of shoes by the fitting room so that people could try on leggings and like merchandise and wear the shoes to get a full feel of the outfit so like the, those shoes belong to the store um, and the bloody footprints were clearly staged. They believed it was all done by Brittany. Brittany. think that the footprints were the only things faked. Investigators began to cast doubt on Brittany's injuries. She basically suffered very superficial cuts and bruises that anyone can inflict on themselves. And there was and there was no evidence that the sexual assault that Brittany had reported had actually happened. Kind of yeah. weird that, like, the hospital didn't verify, like, any of her, like, or the sexual assault, like, claim. Of her injuries. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't I don't really know how long it does take to do, um, like, a rape kit on someone. Um, or, like, how long the it takes for the results to come back. But I think... All of this information, like these All little the same clues, time. started piecing together, like little by little, and then that's when they were able, exactly right. so, like they were able to put everything together all at the same time. Point. Um, so yeah, comparing Brittany's injuries to Jaina's, 
is so it's so different because Jaina's injuries were completely brutal there was absolutely no faking the hundreds of injuries that were reported on her body and another interesting detail that basically points all arrows at Brittany is that all the wounds were traced back to weapons coming from within the store now if we're following Brittany's story according to her Two men walked in a Lululemon store planning to rob the place with no weapons, which doesn't make sense at no, all. No, like, if they were... Like, can you imagine that happening? I don't know. I don't think many robberies are, like, the spur of the moment. So they would have planned, you know, let's hit that Lululemon at this time. And if they were planning it, why didn't they yeah. bring weapons with them? Why are there no footprints from more than one person? Why are the shoes from inside the store? Like, if it was... If it was planned ahead of time by There's these so two much. men that Brittany claims did it, why is there no evidence that is similar to a normal robbery? Like, it makes no sense. The only thing that fits is there's no cash in the cash register, but that's not, right. that's not a tell that someone, two men robbed the store. That's that not enough. Someone took cash out of the cash register. Exactly. And what what's funny is that uh like typically with with robberies thieves will kind of like scope out the place a few days before or the day before they actually commit the crime just to like know where all the security cameras are where they keep the cash registers because they want to get to know like a feel of the place before robbing it and in this case it seems like these are the most forgetful thieves of all time they're like hey hey you don't have balls you You have no balls if we rob that store right now and they're like no no way let's do it no you won't dude i dare you to dude i triple dog dare you do it without change your shoes once you get inside (laughs) levitate and then they open the door and he dove out of it so his footprints wouldn't go to the edge of the door exactly so um by now the only thing making britney's story somewhat concrete is the footage of the men in black by the alleyway. But by Tuesday, investigators were finally able to track those two men down. Turns out they were two uh, employees of like a local restaurant. They like washed the dishes and they had nothing to do with the incident. They were oh just, my God. they happened to walk by at 11 p.m. at the exact same time as the crime and they were wearing the same so uh, description that lucky. Brittany had mentioned in her story. That two men were there at the time yeah. that she said the she was so lucky. the crime happened. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's pure dumb luck, and you could literally think like, um, if she would have fabricated a better story, she would have totally gotten away with this because, you know, the miracle that it takes for two men in black to pass by the store at the exact that's, same there's time no, as there's, the killings were happening. I can't even. I'm so blown away still by that fact like i knew that and every time i hear that that blows my mind like it's lucky for us that we eventually figured out that it was just two random dudes but like lucky for her at first that and unlucky for us well not us but the investigators that these two dudes happened to be walking by the exact moment it made her seem so credible you know and tied into the fact that she like inflicted wounds on herself exactly it all looks so so realistic you're like yeah believable one is true yeah because like obviously these investigators walked in the crime scene they weren't like oh obviously britney is the one who did all of this no they saw two injured women a bunch of empty um cash registers and um this on top of that like the security footage like it's obviously you're gonna want to believe britney but uh thank god these people at least know how to do their jobs right to a certain degree because they were able to figure out that a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, so ruling the men out, the police had no choice but to turn to their only suspect, Brittany Norwood. However, they needed one more piece of information that would make all of their evidence against her more than circumstantial. So right now, they have a bunch of evidence against her that they could use in court. But yeah. this is all circumstantial. There's, there's no, no DNA. There's no fingerprints. There's nothing. She we can't prove this. that she had even touched any of those tools. Nothing. Thank God uh, they hadn't, like, arrested her at that certain point because another interesting detail surfaces that makes their case more credible. And that thread was found in the shopping center parking lot. The police found Jaina's car parked only a few blocks from the Lululemon store. 
Some traces of blood were found in the car, indicating that it was driven after the murder. But why? Well, if we look back at Britney's story, it seems like there was some truth in it. Remember, she claims that she had left her wallet in the store, which meant that Jaina had to drive to the front of the store to meet with her. This left Brittany in a dilemma, specifically because Jaina parked in a prohibited area. And if the car stayed there, people would get suspicious and possibly interrupt her murderous scheme. Uh, so she quickly jumped in the car and parked the car in the parking yeah. lot after killing Jaina. If we're taking the angle that, like, Brittany had planned this in any capacity, um, she knew that she would need to yeah. move the car after she committed this murder because it would look suspicious. Or, you know, it's a crowded shopping center and you're not allowed to leave your car there. I'm sure some security guard would have come yeah. by and been like, whose car is this? Or, you know walked up to the first store that it was in front of and if the car was in front of the yeah. lemon and he like walked up to the, the store, door. like if if this really was, you know, Brittany planning this whole thing out, then she definitely could not have left the car there. Um, otherwise someone would have gotten suspicious. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And like another point is that like if you think about it, um from the real perspective of it, like if you're looking at like what actually happened, Brittany moved the car all the way to the parking lot, which was blocks away. And came back, and she was dripping in blood. She was literally in no, public. She had to be covered in blood. Yeah, exactly. Also, um, I don't know how this shopping mall looked ten years ago, but yeah. I went there last year. There's a parking garage like very far away from everything. So if we're picturing this happening, Brittany was walking from the parking lot to the store covered in blood, and no one saw her. She got so lucky. That's insane. She got so lucky. The fact that nobody saw her. Like, if I were in public and I saw a lady full of blood, like, just casually walking to the Lululemon <laughs> store, moving. like, that is suspicious. That was, yeah, that's crazy. No, and also, like, I've been in parking lots before of, like, closed down strip malls. And there's still occasionally a person or there's, like, street lights. The fact that she was not caught on a single security camera. I yeah that's yeah because this was that like this was like this had to be like around 11 p.m 12 a.m another thing is that we don't really know like the timing of this whole thing like she doesn't really or at least it's not reported um at what time she left the lululemon store to like park the car but it could have easily been like at 3 a.m when she was like done cleaning up everything that's true. um if, if you look back at the security um, footage of the two men walking, which you can easily find on YouTube, by the way, um, you're going to see that there is some light. You can at least tell that there's a person walking. You can see their ba- the back of them pretty clearly. So if she had even walked by the same security camera by accident, like they would have caught her. Yeah. So that's another lucky strike for Brittany. Like she got it's just dumb luck at this point. Yeah. One after another lucky moments for her. Yeah. And so now the only thing that investigators had to do was test their theory. They took Brittany's fingerprints and DNA sample during her questioning or her interrogation on Wednesday, March 16th. And during that interrogation, investigators casually brought up Jaina's car. So they were like, oh, uh, yada, yada, yada. By the way, do you know um, what car model Jaina had? And... She was basically like, no, actually, I've I've only seen it once, but I've never, like, been inside of it, so I, I wouldn't know. However, science says otherwise, because as the results came in, turns out it was Brittany's blood wow. in Jaina's car. So they caught her That is her good in interrogation lie. skills. That is really smart. Isn't that insane? Because, you know, she says, yeah, because if she says, I've never been in the car, and they're like, then why so is you your casually blood bring in the car? Up. And it's like, why did you lie? Have you ever been in Jaina's yeah. car? And she, you know they would behind the like two Watch like the two way mirror or whatever they'd be like they'd be like okay I have I have a plan on how to break her yeah and the mirror like go yeah. in and then they'd like be like so Brittany you ever like been in I her car this. and she'd be like no yeah. and they'd be like so why is your blood in her you know why did we find your DNA in the car <laughs> like yelling at her at the same meanwhile time. it was definitely like a totally normal <laughs> conversation and like nothing like a movie and we're just like yeah I know exactly how it went down yeah. So they find her blood in the car. And uh, when these results come in, the police decide to reveal the newfound evidence to Brittany during her questioning. And let me tell you, this girl is quick. She explains how her attackers 
forced her to go inside the car and drive it back to the parking lot. But listen up, because this only gets more interesting. You think, well, at least one of the attackers must have joined her in the car, right? Like, you know, she at least like to threaten her or something be like hey like don't try anything because i'm here with a gun or something no she drove the car by herself and parked it and then came back which makes no sense because why would you go back to the so her story is the attackers told her to move the car she gets in the car and decides i'm gonna turn around and go back i mean she did explain like uh to the investigators oh well they said that they knew where I lived, and if I were, weren't to go back, they would go to my house and kill me. Drive it, but in that immediately instance, you away from the there, police go to the police station and tell them someone there. at the Lululemon just attacked yeah. me and my coworker. And even if you know Jaina is in danger, yeah, which which according to her story she wasn't. She was dead, and she was moving the car because the the attackers wanted to her, wanted her to move it. It doesn't make any sense, like. I, that's quick thinking you know like yeah. she was quick on her feet to like come up with that but i mean from the beginning we've seen that she has not organized this well enough to cover up her crime so that night of the interrogation britney would not be returning home the police got an arrest warrant and arrested britney that very night and so during trial, all of the evidence we discussed was set on the table for the jury. It seemed like everything was perfectly aligned, pointing directly at Brittany. So much so that her attorney got up in the middle of court and said, she did it. My client did it. Even at this point, they're like, there's no reason for a trial. This girl did it. We know she killed that girl. Yeah. <laughs> take her to jail. Yeah, take her to prison. Um. So yeah, so the defense conceded that Although she had done it, um, it wasn't premeditated. So now it changes from my client didn't do it and she's not culpable of this crime to she did do it, but it wasn't premeditated. So they were aiming for second degree murder instead of first degree murder. Um, And I guess like to explain the difference first, we kind of already did put like first degree murder is a premeditated um, homicide. Second degree murder is a spur of the moment homicide a second degree murder charge could get her as little as 15 years in prison compared to life without the possibility of parole if she were convicted on first degree murder so then jurors found Brittany norwood guilty for first degree murder she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole like the more i think about it it it, it fits into that like categorization of first degree um because my first instinct was like second degree, like, you know, she, yeah. she caught her stealing and she flipped out. But then I remembered that she called her and said, I left yeah. my wallet in the store. So maybe maybe she didn't even leave her wallet in the store. Maybe she was just coming up with a reason for Jaina to come back for her to exact her revenge or take out her anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that like few minutes where she was leaving and going exactly. to the metro and then decided like, I'm going to kill Jaina. Or maybe she didn't. Maybe Jaina got there and, and there was a fight. But it feels way more like first degree when you think about like all of the elements and the time between them closing the store and then when the murder occurred. Exactly. And the the thing is that um, could seem confusing is like, okay, well, she decided to kill her only like a few minutes before um, she did. But that that's that doesn't mean that that is second degree murder. First-degree murder could be considered as little as a few minutes or sometimes, sometimes even a few seconds before you actually kill the person. So the fact that she kind of, like, went through this in her head um, only, like, as she was leaving the store, really, like, it really shows that um, that this was planned. Even if it, if it was a really poor plan, it was still planned. And so she kind of does deserve to be... Um, to be sent to prison for life. And um, something I'd like to mention too, is that she actually tried um, pleading for parole um, to the judge. She basically like her argument was, well, if you give me the possibility of parole, do it for my family because I want my family to have hope. Um, But the judge wouldn't budge at all. He, he denied it uh, just because his focus was on the victim on, on Jaina, you know, like she was such a bright any young person she was only 30 years old she had an entire life ahead of her and her life was taken away just out of anger just because you got caught um for stealing something and you were angry about it and you didn't want to get more in trouble like 
that's not fair and you don't you don't deserve um i mean we could obviously argue like you know um britney was young too and like um some prisoners do deserve parole and this this, and that but it's not you know it's not easy for us to say whether or not that means you know life without parole yes parole whatever but at the end of the day she does deserve some form of punishment for what she's done Um, exactly the severity of which that's a whole other argument but exactly for us for at this point uh, you know she's clearly guilty yeah. of this crime clearly overkill to the max like 300 plus wounds that's overkill. not like oh yeah. it was a fit it was a moment and i killed her and then afterwards i was like oh my god what i have have i done it was 15 plus minutes of unbridled unrestrained yeah. rage against jaina which is absolutely insane that's what kind of like what makes this case so unique is is the fact that um that it was so it's so insane. crazy because she just it was snapped. so like there was so much anger and violence it's, in it. it's that makes uh, it way more terrifying to me yeah because you don't know um uh, like at least i i couldn't find anything that uh, no suggested she had anger issues growing up it was just one little instance of jana getting on her nerves for the last time and she decided that's it like i'm i'm going to kill her and that is crazy and that is horrible that's it's disgusting so you yeah. know She's clearly guilty and like there has to be yeah. some form of punishment for taking someone's life like absolutely and and I think I think she's doing that now she's she's currently still in prison um of course I, I like we both Allison and I both send our um our grievances and our condolences to Jaina's family because that's obviously such a tough thing to go through um so I guess that does like conclude our episode <laughs> yeah it was amazing um going over this with you and i hope that i can bring you back soon like i (laughs) i have to bring you back at some point i know that the listeners are gonna go crazy over you i'm so funny i'm so smart i'm so interesting so pretty yeah so yeah thank you guys for listening um we do post every single friday um and every other week i do invite a guest over to talk about a true crime case you can follow us um on our instagram at i murder podcast um and there you can actually see some uh pictures and references to this case um if you're interested in getting kind of like a visual of that um you can hear this podcast on basically all main uh platform streaming sites like google podcast apple podcast um spotify etc etc and as always can't be a hottie (laughs) if you're a dead body always carry pepper spray around all right perfect thank you by the way, you can also follow Allison on all of her socials, including TikTok and Instagram. It's at Allison DeRose, and that's going to be included in the description. So go show her some love. This episode was written, produced, edited, and hosted by Jocelyn Martinez. Music by Kaylee Fermin.